1: Well, welcome back. I'm Paul Batura, and this is What a Life, uh, Lessons from Legends. We've been talking today to Coach Lou Holtz, the legendary Hall of Fame coach and a longtime uh, chief of the University of Notre Dame. Uh, let's pick up where we left off.
2: During those four months I was out of the job. My wife went to work after she gave birth to Kevin as an x-ray technician. And I was a stay-at-home dad with the children, feeling very defeated. Very lonely. and she might be in this little paperback book, "The Magic of Thinking Big" by David Schwartz. And in it, he talked about goals. And, and so, when the children take the nap, I get have paper and pencil, and did what the book. do. No, I made five columns. Things I want to accomplish as a husband and a father. I don't care what you do in this world. If you fail as a husband and a father, you've really failed. That's the most important job that you could possibly have. And then column number two was things I want to accomplish religiously. God's very important in my life, but I don't preach it, I don't lecture it. But I hope I live my life reflects the faith I have in God. Column number three was things I want to accomplish financially. Column number four was things I want to do professionally. I wanted to be a head coach. I wanted to coach another day. I wanted to win a national championship. I wanted to be in the Hall of Fame. And then column number five was things I want to do for excitement. What would you like to do? The first thing I put down, I to one jump out of an airplane. I was an officer in the Army, and I was at Fort Benning, and I'd watch him jump out of the airplane. Then I want to land on aircraft, or go on the submarine. You know, the Tonight Show, Johnny, Cards, and make a whole one. Play the greatest golf courses in the world. I want to go to the White House for dinner. I want to visit with the Pope. I want to go to Popolo to run with the Bulls with a slower person. And I with, with, had 107 of them. My wife came home. I said, honey, we're going to them all. She looked at it and said, Why don't we have to get a job? So <laughs> we went 108. Now those 108. We had done 102 of them in the last time.
1: Wow. That's fantastic. I mean, that's so great. I mean, I if, if yeah, that is so great. Um, So not much left on that list, right? I mean, you never ran with the Bulls, I don't think.
2: No, I did, but my my youngest son did, Kevin, and I had made arrangements to go run with the Bulls with a guy by the name of Murphy who's Prisoner of the Bank here. He had done it before. But they they run on the seventh day of the seventh bus, of the seventh minute of the seventh hour. And I I made arrangements, but I didn't do it. But as I said, my son has done that. See, I don't think you need to go through life and be a spectator. You go do something one time, and you'll experience a lifetime. There's not a time. Why go up in an airplane and we're not at 10,000 feet? And I think about the time that I jumped out the airplane. They opened that door, and the motor roars. Oh, you think? And all of a sudden, you don't pee. Every time I think about that, or I happened to be high, play high school football with a guy named uh, Cooper, Dan Cooper, who later would have become a, an admiral, graduated from the Naval Academy, was in charge of all the submarines in the Atlantic Ocean. And that's how I got on the submarine one time. So just go experience things. Don't, don't let the world go your by, And hey, you don't do something to say, Hey, I did this. I did that. No, just go experience things.
1: No, mm. oh, that's, that's fantastic. Well, coach, I want to be sensitive to your time. Just a few more questions here. Um, you talked, in, you've talked in interviews before about how you and your wife had an irrevocable contract when it came to your marriage. And, uh you know obviously fifty nine years almost sixty years um how critical of a mindset is that uh to have that um commitment, especially when it came to caring for your wife uh through her illness uh what was that like, and what can you what can you say to people who are facing that now? Well,
2: you make a commitment as we used to say there's no way out so work it out and uh-huh. Like everything else, we had disagreements, arguments, but never about the children. One thing that I learned a long time ago, when our first child was born, Dr. George Oliver said to me, he said, Coach, the most important thing I can tell you is don't ever say anything negative about your wife in front of your children, and I never have. Now, in the bedroom, it's different, but I think it's... You make a commitment to one another. We're going to make this thing go through. Like I used to say it's cheaper to keep her, but fifty-nine years and after, I, I think it was about. Uh, I, I just go started to retire, and she called me. She said the doctor says I have cancer. it doesn't think it's curable. And I said, "Well, come on home." She was crying. By the time she got home. I'd the anchor lot next door to us, Got the building said we'd go put a dish on the hub and had her an appointment at the Mayo Clinic. And they gave her a 10% chance to live. She lived for 22 years, and her health went downhill, obviously. But, you know, she was such a strong person. And I'll never forget, early in the cancer, we are visiting with a doctor at the Mayo Clinic. They said to my wife, he said, now, which member of your family would you rather have this than you? Which of your children would you rather have this cancer than you? And, and she, she was such a strong person, never complained, never blamed anybody, but she had such a strong faith in God. As a matter of fact, we rebuilt the house. Our house burned to the ground July 22nd, 2015, and we lost everything. Mm. But when we rebuilt it, we built a prayer room for her. Now, she had a great neighbor named Dicty. I and mean, she and Dicty would walk every morning and recite Bible verses. They built, started a Bible study and said, Her faith in God helped us get through it. But what a great inspiration she was to her four children and to me about how you handle adversity, how you have a faith in God. And you understand that you're only here for a short period of time. And what are we trying to do with our life? But what is our purpose of life?
1: Yeah, well, coach. The best news, right, is you'll see her again. Hopefully, not real soon, but you'll see her again.
2: Well, um, I, I, I certainly hope so. Uh, it's just it's still not easy, but as I said, the gratitude will soon turn to take over instead of grief. But uh, she, she was a very, very special person and. We, we miss her today, but what a great inspiration she was to our children, and et cetera. And it was obvious to me when our children were going away to college that our country would change. No longer would we be a, a type of country where everybody lived on the same street like when I grew up. But we decided then, 47 years ago, we would have a family reunion on uh, the july 4th and we've done that to this day we still get together as a family all of us and at nine o'clock at night we you know we'll play golf in the morning, afternoon with the children evening with the family at nine o'clock we have a family meeting one night it was on our foundation one night it was on our uh, business one one night it was on our religious experience of the year one day it was on what we wanted to have happen. What goals do we have for next year? What happened last year? And then last night, I would talk to the children, and the boys, about how to treat women. My wife would talk to the women, maybe out of the shop. I don't know, but it was. we still do that to this day. As a matter of fact, uh, I'll have 21 members of my family here over July the 4th this year, and uh, we'll still maintain the same thing, but this mm-hmm. It's just what are your values? What's important to you? And nothing's more important to us than our children.
1: Mm. Well, you're you're administering to a lot of people now, Coach, in, in this and you giving a lot of ideas. You used just to close out here, you used to joke about what you wanted as your epitaph on your tombstone. Um about
2: uh, yeah. but on, my, on my tombstone, I want to say I told you I was sick. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever believes that you're sick. And, here I am. I'm going on eighty-seven years of age. I have all kind of skeletal problems with my back and walking and balance. I can't play golf anymore. But fortunately, my mental state of mind is still rather sharp. That's one of the advantages being rather dull all your life. You get older, you can't tell when you lose too much of your mental sharpness. But I, I'm just thankful. Instead of counting our problems. We count our blessings, and I think we would realize how fortunate and blessed we are.
1: Well, Coach, we're blessed to know you and to talk with you, and thanks for spending some time with us today. Hope you have a great Fourth of July with that family. That's uh, that's a special time. It is, that. I thank you. Boy, what a treat to speak with the legendary Coach Lou Holtz. One of the great things about this medium uh, is the ability to shrink the distance between legends and the rest of us. You know, we're in Colorado Springs, Lou is in Orlando, he's a Hall of Famer, he's a Presidential Medal of Freedom winner, and we're not, but here we are. You know, here we are on 100.7 KGFT talking with the great Lou Holtz. Um, our next guest, though, is going to keep that theme going, which is uh, all about Lou's wisdom and counsel, and how it doesn't just apply to football, it applies to life. And uh, joining us is David Burwick. he's Chief Human Resources Officer at David C. Cook here in Colorado Springs, Now, I love this guy, not because he just hired me years ago, but because he's a good man and he's a good friend and nobody can break things down and make a game plan like David. Now, whether you're asking him how to build a deck, remodel a house, get a job or compete on a football field, David is your guy. Now, I wanted to talk with him today because like Lou Holtz, David is a retired football coach. He may not have as many years. He may have coached on the high school level, but he's still a coach and some of the same uh, traits and characteristics and lessons apply. He headed up the TCA Titans football program for several years here in Colorado Springs. And I think his insight will help, uh, will help you. It certainly has helped me. So David, it's great to have you on the program. Hey, Paul, thanks for having me. So David, let me just to kind of set the table for our audience. I know all about you. We're friends. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you're a Colorado native. Where'd you grow up? Uh, tell us a little bit about your childhood.
3: Yeah, uh, definitely I native to Colorado. Grew up. So I was born in Grand Junction over on the Western Slope. But when I was four or five years old, my dad was transferred. He was with JCPenney and he was transferred to Alamosa, Colorado. And that's pretty much where I grew up. I'm one of six kids. I think we're spread at like 17 years from the oldest to the youngest. I'm four of, four of six. And, uh, Alamosa was a great place to grow up. I don't know that I'm gonna live there now, um, but man, I look back at those at those years and they were special. Uh um, growing up there, going to school there, sports, all the activities that are in the mountains. Um, is a really good time. But uh, football has always been been my love. Love the sport, love what it teaches. And quite frankly, uh my high school football coach, Manny Wasinger is a guy that really just invested into me and really taught me a lot about life just through the game of of football.
1: Yeah. So, you know, you're like a lot of dads uh, who kind of have kids and you want to help and, you know, volunteer in sport programs. When you had your first, when you had your oldest, you started uh, volunteering as a coach. Did that come naturally to you? I mean, there are people listening today who think, boy, that's not me. I couldn't do that. But as I recall, you seem to, to slide pretty, um, pretty smoothly into that.
3: Well, well, I didn't want to do it, actually. Uh, I didn't think that I knew enough about football. But the issue was the classical academy, I don't know what year they were actually founded, probably 30 years ago, but they started a football program and one of my friends, Jeffrey Weeks, was part of the process of getting that thing going. But they were bad, I mean, really bad for a long time. And I think my son Austin was in second grade. And I said to my wife, because I knew my son was going to play football. And this is a charter school. And you have to get your name on the on the list, like right at birth. And so uh I just knew that's where he was going to play. But they're bad. I, I And I said to Laura, I said, I can't have my son play for a bad football team. So we're going to do something here. So we... I just decided to go find a bunch of kids that went to that school. And I wanted to start building a football culture. And when I was doing this, Nate Sassman, he was a, uh, I think a Colonel in the army might be a Lieutenant Colonel, but I don't know. He, he is a graduate from West Point. I think he uh, was a commander in chief trophy winner when he was quarterback there. And he became the head coach at TCA. And he began to turn things around there at the point that I was starting this third, fourth grade football team with all TCA kids to kind of build a culture. So Nate and I became friends and, 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 and he began to instill in me what it is to invest in young men, not just win football games. And so we started to build a culture around, you know, um, doing something bigger than yourself, uh, uh, you know, we actually want to bring a lot of Christian principles in, into it, but we but we kind of made it not so much about the Bible, um, but about how to invest in young men and in the process. Let's go play some some football.
1: Yeah, and how how was that received by the parents? Uh, did, did was there an, an instant reaction, or did they? I mean, is it, is it so subtle you almost don't realize it as as they kind of move along?
3: Well, I was pretty. I was pretty vocal about my thinking, and so there was a book that a friend of mine, Chad Miller, who I coached with for for many years, Chad gave me a book by Jeffrey Marks called a "Season of Life." Uh, I think the byline says a football star, a boy, a journey to manhood, and I'm telling you, you need to read this book. And we focused on the concepts of that book, and we were very vocal about it. Parents heard us talking about it, and I think they. We're thrilled by it because sports is usually, in, in not all cases, but it's all about winning. And we definitely want to win football games. But most importantly, we wanted to invest in these young boys to help them be productive men later in life, good fathers, great sons, great siblings, um, men of men of character. Uh, that that was the focus, and that's what we built our culture
1: around and parents loved it. Yeah, and I I you know I hope people who are listening picked up on the fact that you started this when they were in elementary school and here you are having a group of fathers who are very deliberate and uh you know I think I think you're answering this question as we go along but you know I'm thinking what what the difference between a good coach and a great coach uh is sometimes pretty subtle but it, at the same time I think you're kind of explaining it, it, it would you agree?
3: Yeah. So that's a good, that's a great question. What's a good coach? What's a great coach? Paul, well, there's a lot of very successful coaches out there winning football games. But from my standard, I wouldn't call them great because I would call those transactional coaches. And I, I still that, I, I still that phrase from Joe, Joe Erman, who was the subject of Jeffrey Marks' book. But then Joe went, Joe went and wrote his own book called Inside Out Coaching. And it's about how sports can transform lives, not just football, but sports in general. I think football is probably one of the greatest sports that speaks to this because of just the adversity uh, uh, that is, that can happen on a football field, pain, um, struggle, victory. It's it's all there. But Joe talks about transactional coaches and transformational coaches, and that really became our focus. So I think – there's a lot of successful coaches out there that are transactional meaning they're focused on winning and meeting their own personal needs and transformational coaches are about investing in young men or or their athletes because they're not just it's, it's not just men it's, there's a boys and girls sports but uh, but 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 really investing into these young athletes um um, really helping them change their lives to be productive members of society and to love well and to um, again be great husbands and wives and moms and dads and, and and that's a so I think the greatest coaches and so you had Lou Holtz on I absolutely think Lou is a transformational coach. Uh and there are there are many out there, right? And and there's some great examples. And that's where I think you see Greatness, because from a culture that's transformational, you're going to see victories. V- victories is the byproduct of a great culture where you're investing in these athletes.
1: Yeah. Not, and not just to get a win. Motivating uh, people is somewhat dependent upon age and stage. Is there a general uh, formula that you follow for motivating people?
3: Um, well, for me, well, I motivate through relationship. And so I want to get to know the kid. And this is actually true even in, in, in my job. This is kind of just how I do life. I want to – I think vulnerability and transparency is critical for me in order to build that connection with these young kids. And then that allows me to kind of find out what makes them tick and then I can motivate them. But usually, when they know that you love them and care for them, uh, it really does. It really it, it it just motivates. I remember one one time, and I, and I think I'm again. I think I stole this from 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 Joe. But this is on the fourth or fifth grade field, and and I and I always told these kids, man, I love you. And if I'm if I'm yelling at you, it's because I love you. And so there was a young man, uh, Blake, I can't think of what Blake's last name was. I'm just forgetting that, what, what it was now, but we're sitting there talking and I'm, and I'm actually mad at him because he had made the same error multiple times. And I was actually pretty much up in his grill about the error that he made. Right, And so I wanted to understand what the mistake was. And I said, Blake, do you have any idea why I'm yelling at you? He says, because you love me coach <laughs> you and treat it, you well yeah. I and I said that's exactly right it's because I love you and it I had to be reminded from that little fifth grade kid why I was on that field and it was I'll never forget that moment it's powerful powerful moment and uh, um, you know I I I've had parents ask me well how's this how's the season going and again I I uh, stole this but I said, Last well, me in twenty years. Because mm-hmm. I want to see where these kids
1: end up. Hey, let me let me just la- end with this. I, I I thought of you when I read this. Um you got we're both familiar with a guy named Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks was a long time uh professor at Dallas Theological Seminary and uh died some time ago. But he said, and he was kind of known for coaching and mentoring people. He said, every disciple needs three types of relationships in his life. He needs a Paul who can mentor him and challenge him. He needs a Barnabas who can come alongside and encourage him. And he needs a Timothy, someone he can pour his life into. David, I thought of you because I thought this, you certainly for me, you've been uh, uh, a mentor to me. How do you react to that type of advice?
3: Well, I think it's great advice. I don't know that I would use those exact examples, but but it's so so true. First of all, you and I all had a great mentor in Dick in Dick Horthels. He he taught us the importance of having of having mentors. And I have pursued men in my life that are five years down, down the road, 10, 15, maybe 30 years, like Dick was. You need a great, you just need a great span there. But then you and I kind of come alongside each other in our journey. So we got that mentor or mentors. We got friends like you and I just doing life together and we're helping each other out. We're, we're the, uh, Barnabas to each other. But I never thought about pouring into people under, um, Below me, or not below me, but uh, younger than me. Well, coaching was definitely that with these young with these young kids. But now that I'm 54, I'm finding opportunities and I'm loving it to invest in young people in their 20s coming out of college. It's one of them. It just it just gives me joy to help them, hopefully not make the same mistakes that I made. Mm -hmm. But it's 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 such a it's such a great opportunity and boy, and I'll tell you what, you got these millennials and these gins and these gen Z's have a very different viewpoint than you and I have. And so to kind of help them, you know, embrace who they are and they are a gen Z, but what are some key things to be, to be thinking about, uh, about what work ethic is and about, they're not going to get the VP job the first time right out of college. Those are some key things, but that's, that's, great, that's great advice, though, from Howard, Howard, Howard
1: wow. Hendricks, for sure. Well, David, it's been, it's been fun chatting with you, and, and I, I hope we can continue this conversation down the road. You have a lot to offer, a lot to say.
3: Thanks for listening to What a Life with Paul Batura. Let him know what you're thinking. Follow Paul on Twitter at Paul Batura, or you can reach out to him on email at Paul@palbatura.com. At Most importantly, live a life that emulates the admonition of the Apostle Paul, whose teachings are the inspiration for this show. Writing to believers at Philippi, Paul urged them, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We'll see you next time on What a Life.